named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Mark Orrell and I'm joined by Sam Hunter. Sam, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my friend, and congratulations for your big news this week. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mark, and happy birthday yesterday. We're going to let that sneak through. Yeah, we forgot to mention uh, our, our number one fan of the show, Simon Gates's birthday last week, but we will remember Mark Worrell, the co-host with the most, his birthday this week. How old were you? Uh, 35 years young, but whilst, uh, hey. whilst my wife said to me, she said, don't you think that's middle-aged? I'm like, as only as old as I feel. If I minus the quad injury that took me off during the game on Saturday and the grey hairs that are starting to appear around the side of my head, I'm still as young as I, I still feel as young as I've ever felt, so... Yeah, bring it on. Very good. Well, you don't look a day over 29. I'll take that. You, To be fair, okay. I do look a bit older than you because you don't look a day over 18. But um... Thank you. <laughs> That's going to go really well for me when I'm in my 40s and having a midlife crisis. <laughs> and that's what I said. Is it middle-aged? And my wife was like, no, you're living longer than 70. We'll be fine. So, yeah, I'm all good. Yeah. I'm all good. And I had a nice day with the family yesterday. Glad to hear it. And thank you for your kind words. It was a good week for us last week. It was actually a, a very intense year. I feel like for definitely the, the latter part of last year, I didn't do any like real work. It was just meetings and due diligence and uh, probably won't go into in, in too much detail, but very little on the fun, sort of actually important work at Home Search, which is building cool stuff and making sure that's exactly what our customers will say. I've actually been doing that for the last two weeks, the first time in seven months because I had a month holiday. Uh, and it's, it's like revitalizing. So um, it's quite exciting. And actually, um, we had a bit of a, a catch-up just before I left last year about how we were going to go and implement this and how quickly could we go and, and do what we need to do. And um, what we what we did was we sense checked with like a customer survey at the end of last year about, and, I, and you would have got, I don't know whether you filled it in because it was anonymous, um, but we wanted to make sure that everything that we had planned still lined up with what was actually necessary. And, and this is not going to turn into a home search podcast, I promise you that. But if we talk about what the market looks like this year, um, with stock being low, um, but by competition, and I guess more importantly for the agents listening to this show, agent competition still incredibly high. Um, it's a market where, and this is really useful timing for the guests that we have on today to talk about how you can actually differentiate yourself from the market because the market itself has done most of the job for a lot of agents for the last couple of years. But I, I don't think it's going to continue to do that job um, it probably will for a little while, but certainly not towards the latter half of this year. Um, so it's it's really exciting that this you know 2022 and beyond is the year to really show up as a world class agent, and hopefully the guests and the content that we can bring you on this show is really going to help you go and do that as well. Because skill 
is going to be rewarded this year. And the gap between a, a cheap agent and an agent that actually makes their clients more money than they could have ever imagined doing it themselves or doing it with your competitor is going to get wider and wider. Um, and those other agents are unfortunately going to make less money than they ever have because they're not listening to this show. They're not using an arsenal of good technology out there. They don't have the skill and personality, as you'll sort of hear from our guest um, later on, to actually compete in these tighter markets. So for me, it's it's a really exciting time, and I'm really looking forward to putting that funding to good use and solving the actual problems that exist out there now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you're right. I think the, the, the long and short of it is the stock shortage, in my opinion, is not going anywhere. Um, and mm. so we do have to stand out. We do have to use these tools and um, really try and stand out from the crowd because um, if we don't, if we don't go out and proactively get that stock and we don't try and differentiate ourselves so that we can charge higher fees, then ultimately we won't win that business. And you know, I think this year, each piece of business that you don't win is going to hurt a little bit more because there's not going to be loads and loads of it out there from a stock perspective. Um, and yeah, and massive congratulations to you and, and all of the team at Home Search as well. I know, I know if you speak to very you know, numerous people in the industry, they'll talk about how fantastic your, your team is and it's a, it's a proper team effort. So I'm really looking forward to seeing um, how things develop with the with the investment and yeah i think it's exciting times ahead thank you mate and actually while, while we're talking about what's going to happen and what agents need to sort of do if there's there's like i've had so many different thoughts on my mind uh, over the last couple of weeks about how you actually do make the most of a, a year in front like it's such a wonderful time every year when you get to january and it is it feels like that fresh start and you mm -hmm. think right even if you had a good year and it was a positive year, or maybe you didn't quite hit the massive goals that you set yourself or whatever it was, now is the perfect time to actually reset and rethink. And like, if I'm putting my estate agent hat on at the moment, and I will say, Mark, you can't see me now because we've both got our cameras off. I will apologize to everybody that there is some internet uh, disruption through this podcast. And thank you to the, the guys who listen to this show regularly who've given us some feedback on that as well. Australia great country terrible terrible internet uh and i said to mark and our guest when i literally got kicked off the zoom while we were recording it because my internet died that i need to get back to the land of good internet asap so um you can't see me putting my state agent hat back on mark but actually if i'm an agent right now there's there's a few things i'm going to focus on and if you'll allow me for like 30 seconds i'll rant about it and it's whether it doesn't matter what you call it, whether it's a valuation, a sales advice meeting, an appraisal, whatever it is, right? Only talk about the price at the last minute. Yeah. There are so many other aspects that you can be focusing on around this market. Because if you can nail the process and a campaign, and you probably already have people that will pay a premium price, then the price almost becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And if you're the one giving that price, then you're the one that's going to get blamed if you don't quite get there in a week or two. Whereas if you're taking feedback from the market, it's up to a client as to whether they accept that or not. So I, I would be really cautious and really conscious of when I speak about price at, at, at my valuations. I'd be agreeing price realignment strategies or price realignment meetings ahead of time, as in genuinely like win the business at that valuation on the proviso that in the next two to three days, you're going to get between two and five people who want to buy that home through that door. And if none of them 
make an offer or none of them in, even indicate that they're even close to making an offer, you're going to revisit pricing because the last thing you want to do is hit the open market and get it on the portals and have and miss the best buyers that are out there now. And again, if you're not comfortable doing something like that and you just want to put a price on it, make sure you're agreeing with anybody that you're going to revisit the price after a maximum, not minimum, but a maximum of two weeks on the market. Because in those two weeks, that's fundamental to achieving a premium price. And if you're not going to have those conversations early, then the best buyers out there are probably going to see something new and make an offer on it. And that will be the one that sells in 24 hours instead of actually recognizing there was an opportunity to get them through your door as well. So I think, you know, sellers' expectations, um, they're always high at the start of a new year, but they're exceptionally high at the start of a new year after the back of 20-odd months of an absolutely inflated, crazy market. Mm -hmm. So you've got to make sure that as an agent, not only are you seen as an ally, but you're professional, you've got a high level of empathy, and you're actually having the conversations that need to be had before they need to be had. So then when you go and have a conversation with somebody about pricing and about that strategy, they expect it. And it's not a surprise. You know, there'll be so many agents out there and these are the 50% of agents that lose instructions before they sell them. They just don't have the courage to have those conversations early. And this is where it comes back to skill being rewarded in this market. You've got to go and say, part of my job is not just to tell you what you want to hear, which is that it's a really strong market. And we're probably going to get you an absolutely outstanding price. And here's a performance fee that we can talk about once we get there. Mm -hmm. But it's also about making sure that if things don't go exactly as planned, we know where we go next. We've always got a plan for every scenario. So that was, that was my little rant because that's the sort of stuff that's been on my mind at the moment. That's the higher level training that we sort of run mainly for our business owners, I guess, um, but also for anyone who listen, uh, like listen to this podcast. I think it's an exciting year ahead. You know, we've, we've got a few gaps to fill to make sure that that stock stays consistent for our users. Um, and then it's up to the agents themselves to make sure that their advice and their strategy is consistent for the market that they're operating in. Yeah, I think all of that there, Sam. Um, you called it a run. I would, I would call it fantastic advice because that is going to be absolutely key. And I think if you're having that, you know, you, you know the market. You know, if, if something goes to the open open market and is priced wrong, it will stick because that's what's mm. happening more, more and more. And if something goes to the price wrong and, and uh, goes to the market wrong and sticks, you know, it is probably going to be priced because the you've not got that much competition in the market at the moment. So I think all of that there, if, you know, if no one's written that down, then I'd encourage them to go back and, and do that. And the best thing about it was your internet stayed stable for the whole time as well. Um, so yes, yeah. so uh, on that note, shall we, shall we dive in and introduce today's guest? Yep. Let's do it. Today is a privilege for Mark and I as we're joined by one of the industry stalwarts. She's well-known and well-loved, and 2022 marks her 14th year supplying outstanding products and services to the estate agency industry here in the UK. Sales Director of Akaboom, and she's a beacon for how supplier and agent relationships should work. Wonderful person to match. And on top of all that, she joins us just 24 hours after getting her wisdom teeth out, and she's like unthink like no one I'd ever seen getting their wisdom teeth out. Susanna Mavity, welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Well, thank you very much, Sam. I'm not sure where to stand up after that kind of introduction, to be perfectly honest. But uh, but thank you. <laughs> You're very well. 
And thanks very much for joining us, um, Susanna. We want to we want to talk about world class agency in a moment, but first um, we wanted to congratulate you. I don't know if anyone follows you on social media, but they'll have seen you've done a recent climb of Kilimanjaro, raised over a thousand pounds for your friend Dominic Subiano. Can you talk us through that experience? How was it? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I have to correct you on the amount there, just because I'm so proud. eleven thousand over eleven thousand pounds. What did I say? Uh, it, 1,000. It's, well, it's certainly... Oh, so, crikey. Oh, I, Sorry, I, I, I thought I said 11. <laughs> After all that hard work, Mark, I have to jump in straight away and correct you. It's about £11,500 for that individual climb. But it is as part of a bigger charity, which is Do It For Dom, which is something I started a few years ago for Dominic Sabiani, who uh, is a friend of mine, runs an agency over in Wales and unfortunately got Huntington's disease. So um, we've done a few events which have been published in the industry press so people may have heard of them but we took 50 people up Snowdon 100 people down the River Wye and then the most recent one was Kilimanjaro and in total we've done about £195,000 raising for that charity which goes directly to Huntington's Disease Association. So uh, your next question I think was how did the climb go? Rough. (laughs) <laughs> Rough, I'll, I'll, I'll use I'll use that as a word. It was uh, look, the first couple of years aren't so bad. Uh, simply years, so a couple of days. I'm doing what you did now. It felt like years, days, years. All the same thing. The first couple of days aren't so bad because it's a lot warmer at the bottom. You go through the rainforest and then start to hike up, but then it gets cold. And uh, well, I'm not a lover of the cold anyway. But when it gets cold, what else does it do? It gets wet, and once it's wet and cold nothing ever dries so I think the bit they don't tell you about with doing these kind of um this kind of climbs really is it's not the height that's tough it's the conditions often and the fact you know sleeping in a wet sleeping bag in pretty much all of your clothes including your waterproofs um you know it is not the most pleasant kind of uh if you like bedding when you when you're used to your soft bed at home let me tell you it's a bit of a shock so uh so I think that was probably one of the hardest parts. And then um, going to the summit is obviously renowned for being the hardest part of doing Kilimanjaro, but unfortunately I got altitude sickness as well. So uh, I was a bit poorly, but hey ho, we got there and it is just through pure determination really, if you like. <laughs> I was gonna say- So on a scale of, you go Mark. Sorry, Sam. I was going to say, did you did you learn anything about yourself during that um, experience? I think that, I think I did a little bit. I think I thought before I got there, I won't get altitude sickness right. And I kind of had it in my head, I wouldn't, because I always count myself as a bit of a lucky person, right? And, you know, luck's an interesting subject, isn't it? But for me, I think, like, I'm quite lucky. If I roll the dice, I'll be all right, you know, that kind of thing. Because I think, well, in life, I suppose I have quite a, I have not a few nice things going on for myself. You know, I've, well, I think I've got the best job in the world, personally. But then I've got a lovely home, uh, lovely friends, you know, and a, a lot of nice things. And I think, gosh, I, I do count myself as a lucky person. So I always kind of think, oh, I'll be all right if I roll the dice, I won't get sick. However, I did get sick and I realised I'm not invincible. And I, you know, I'm not that lucky. I think most of the things and um, reflection that I do have are not down to look, they're due to the hard work that I've gone in behind them, if you like, you know, like uh, working hard to get that job, working hard to be able to afford to buy your house and all those things and working on your friendships and things as well. So I suppose that is a bit of a life lesson. Um, me that trauma, well, storming around everywhere thinking I am a bit invincible isn't that unusual for me. If you ask anyone that probably knows me, I'm 
um I want to find my mind up on something no matter what it is I'm pretty stubborn but uh yeah I did learn I, I'm certainly not invincible and therefore luck is something you make not something you're gifted with so there you go there's a life lesson for this time in the morning we spoke uh before we hit record about if we can just leave our listeners with one piece of value in this half hour it's going to be a really good show and i think actually we've nailed it in the first five minutes oh okay. uh, things don't come down to like they come down to work so thank you susanna well done yeah, um I, yeah i think actually on a scale of uh kilimanjaro to wisdom teeth clear one is is more difficult and perhaps you know both probably come with an equal level of somewhat suffering but might be a little bit more difficult to climb kilimanjaro than is to get your wisdom teeth out and jump on a it podcast was- the next morning it was definitely a lot harder. I think actually another thing that's been quite hard for me is I've rolled my ankle coming down, coming down Kilimanjaro. And literally I had a whole hiking weekend plan for two weeks when I got back all over Snowdon and all the rest <laughs> of it. And, you know, I'd, I'd actually got a few in the diary and various other things. And I've not been able to do a lot because um, of the injury, you know, and it's been quite frustrating and then my teeth kicked in. So I suppose, you know, um, yeah, that's been a bit of a frustration since I came back because I have signed up to do the the agents giving dancing, which because uh, <laughs> I'm a bit crazy, you know, and I like, kind of thought, what's next on the agenda then? So, uh, yeah, so I'm a little bit scared about that, if I'm honest. I've got two left feet, uh, never danced in my life. And since then, the people that I know I'm up against, one of them revealed, oh, well, it's a two years professional dance. The other one's other half is a dance instructor um yeah, there's all this stuff coming out of the woodwork and I'm like hang on a minute I, I, I've never done anything here so but I've been with the ankle yeah it's all just a bit frustrating at the moment that I can't dive in there and start to train for the next kind of challenge really and continue the hiking um but look now the teeth are out the ankle's on the way so in the next few weeks I'm I'm hoping to be back out and fighting for it well, I look forward to having you back on this show when we're talking about how you've won uh, Asians dancing oh, uh, as well. That's not going to happen. After the call the other day, trust me. But I'll, I'll come on and talk to you about how I took part and fell over in front of lots of people. That's also an interesting subject and how that made me feel. <laughs> but that, but I, I can commit to that, but not the first one. <laughs> All right. Very good. Well, either way, I think we've got ourselves a second appearance on this show, which is good. Let's. <laughs> Talk about uh, a state agency for a second. So you've actually been across varying businesses uh, prior to our industry for probably longer than half of the industry has been in a state agency. Uh, can you talk us through how you found working with agents from your side of the fence? Like, what's your what's the best part about that? Well, less of that that time sentence there, Sam. You're making me sound like a, an ancient kind of supplier, like you know. I'm a lady. I've got younger than that. I'll have you know. Yeah. When I was in kindergarten. <laughs> now, in, all, in all seriousness, in terms of um, in terms of working across lots of different businesses, yeah, working with kind of suppliers into always prop tech. Really love a bit of prop tech, and selling into kind of different size agencies. You know, from anything from your one man band up to your corporate levels and things. Really, um, but it's more about kind of helping them bring their businesses on. Um, you know essentially by giving them tools to make them list more properties or you know get that conversion rate higher um, and ultimately fees as well that's always an interesting one isn't it we actually um, talk often uh, the the three uh, core challenges or maybe the three biggest opportunities 
everyone listening to this show and everyone in this industry gets to try and solve every day. It's how do I actually, how do I convert the valuations I already have in my diary? Because that makes a massive difference. Or actually the last thing I was converting at a higher level and I could just get even a quarter of a percent more. What is that going to be doing to my bottom line? Mm -hmm. So in your experience, let's go back over, you know, even just the last couple of years where the market has done a lot of the legwork for a lot of agents. What's been the problem that you've uh, done your best to solve out there for them and how have you gone about doing that? Oh, I, th I do think a lot of agents uh, tend to, especially traditional ones, they're following the same journey and things with their clients. A lot of them, you know, I mean, let's talk about that market appraisal process for a startup there because what you're referring to is it's already in the diary. So what are we going to do to convert it? Most agents will use exactly the same kind of material, the same kind of um, pitching, if you like. The only difference typically when looking at that is the valuer. It's that person that goes out and it falls on their shoulders of their kind of sales skills and personalities to pull them over the line. Actually, when you look at what they send them before the appointment, what they take with them to the appointment even, and what they send afterwards and their communication strategy as well. After that, we've just telephone calls and things like that. Then generally speaking, a lot of them are kind of following the same things. And I always say, well, look, you know, with, with what I do, it's not about... Um, it's not about changing the personalities of the valuers. Gosh, I haven't, I'm certainly not here to do that, but certainly look at what they take with them. Let's have a look at their toolkit, if you like. Let's look at what they do around mm -hmm. that. They are only there for like an hour's window if they're lucky and often only with one decision maker as well. So when you think about their chances, when they're, most of them are putting all their weight on the effort of winning the appointment on that one hour slot, often with only one person, that can be a bit crazy sometimes. And when you think about, the fact that as well, 32% of vendors will take over a month to instruct an agent. So then therefore, what are we doing about them? Because I can tell you quite often, they've even stopped communicating with them by that point. And they're still relying on that pitch from over a month ago with one of the decision makers. So when you actually break it down and think about what those steps look like and what should we be doing here and what should we be doing there, there is room for differentiation against competitors. And there is certainly room for improvement in the area to make yourself more memorable and essentially win more business and that is what it's all about is how can you make yourself more memorable particularly if you've then got almost four weeks and just waiting for somebody to make a decision obviously if you're a professional you're going to be following up you're going to be asking lots of questions hopefully giving them some way to help them come into your circle but you're right i, I think if you perfectly you've got an hour to win their business so there's a little bit of pressure that comes with that. You've got to make sure you've got the right tools in your armory to do everything you can. So that we call we call the sort of cheap and that seems to pop up in every area. We call them like Barry from down the road. And apologies again to any good back there. Um, <laughs> but you always seem to face one who's who'll cut their price to whatever it needs to be um, just to try and win the business. And so you've got to make sure you're doing everything you can to get yeah. to hour, even if it takes a month. And if you haven't differentiated yourself, you know, even at all those different stages, when somebody does drop the price, well, often that's what they're looking at. I mean, how many agents send kind of a standard valuation letter after an appointment that really just outlines fees? So if that's the case, and that's all they can reflect on weeks later, then they are going to use the cheapest. I mean, you know, unless you've made that lasting memorable impression in that hour with, what, with only one half of the decision-making force, which is a lot to ask of anybody, is a lot of pressure on the valuer. So it's thinking about 
what can we do to make that value more successful? Yeah, I really like the idea of being different to try and gain higher fees because ultimately, as you say, if we're all exactly the same, I think the consumer can just view us as exactly the same, but just with a different colour board. And then it comes back down to price, doesn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yes, that's, that's the whole idea. We want to be remembered for our unique selling messages. You know, what do we do differently to the client down the road? But it's an interesting question when you ask Joe Public. Um, about agents and a lot of them will consider them to be one the same from the other and of course we'd say on this side of the fence that's absolutely not true of course we're all very different but when we then put all our eggs in one basket on the pitch and on that one person then it's not surprising that sometimes those messages aren't getting across yeah absolutely um we've talked briefly about the importance of pitch from agent to house seller um, and we talk about that a lot, making that a, that a great, great pitch. But something I think maybe our listeners um, could do to hear is what to look out for when they're fielding the call from a prop tech, because there is good, there is bad. Um, how do you get your point across um, that Akaboom is, is worth talking to in that pitch, in that really v- real sort of brief pitch? How, how can you help our agents spot good and bad uh, prop techs, Susanna? Yeah, sure. So in terms of selling or, you know, pitching the other way around then to, you know, to an agent as opposed to moving on from the agent pitching, it's very similar. Mark, I use Akaboom. I mean, come on, what else would I use? You know, but no, old old jokes aside, I think a lot of it is um, we do do, again, probably an hour's demonstration and we break down the customer's requirements at the beginning of, you know, what is it they're doing now? And I do really like to understand what their pitch looks like now and their journey with their client that customer journey once we've understood that I can then obviously throw in kind of what um what we do at each of those stages and relate it back to their requirements essentially we're doing that so that um, they can understand the value and of Akaboom but again a lot of it comes down to them understanding and seeing the visuals of kind of what we do as well the same as when you pitch into a vendor you know you've got to be able to show them what you can do and I think that's what a lot of it comes down to I mean we are quite a unique tool really with what we do anyway so it's not like we're up against necessarily five other people doing a very similar thing um but then again you know it's important that we do differentiate that because at the beginning of the call it's quite common for somebody to think we are the same as somebody else and of course, that falls to me to make them see otherwise. And yeah, uh, old jokes aside, but I do use Akabin to do that. <laughs> the differentiation comes through there exactly as you say to the clients that you're actually using it, differentiating it, and then it enables you know those fees and um, the, you to win the business just simply by being different, and then enabling them to be different. Absolutely, yeah. And it's getting them, it's getting people to understand the value, isn't it? But I think the one thing from an, if I was an agent, you know, you really do. A lot of them moan about having to sit in front of demonstrations and things, but it's like your vendors moaning about having to sit in front of a market appraisal, really. So, you know, and I do hear that's about, yeah. oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Just tell me how much it is. Well, that's like saying, oh, in this mystery box over here, it's a hundred pounds. Are you going to pay for it? But you don't actually know what's inside it. And, you know, we could say the same about market appraisals, couldn't we? You know, it is just like quoting fees blind about how much you're going to charge them for moving their house without allowing the valuer to kind of explain the differentiation. So I would always say, you know, if you do want to make the right decisions, you do need to take the time out to really evaluate different suppliers and really spend some time on the business rather than just in it all of the time.
I don't know if we've lost have we lost Sam. I don't know if his internet connection's gone wrong, but he's he's not moving. Apologies. I I was finished what I was saying and I thought <laughs> I can if you want, but I think Sam's trying to communicate, but we've we've lost him. So Mark, the the shoulder is well, it's fallen on your shoulders to well, I, I think we, I think we probably should just say at this point, um I don't know if I'm gonna edit this out or not. Probably not, because we don't like to do a lot of editing on this show, but Sam is is obviously still in Australia. We've got some bad internet. So if you hear us talking over each other and if we lose Sam like we have done here, massive uh, apologies. Um one is and now he's completely gone. So we'll just we'll just crack on and uh, <laughs> and, and hope that he comes back. <laughs> um one of the questions that we ask everybody who comes on this show, you said that you, you have listened, so you will know um, what we're going to talk about, Susanna. It's what does world-class estate agency look like to you? Um, to me as an individual, I do think, you know, it is still relationship sales, isn't it? So having that relationship between the client um, and the, if you like, the team back at the office is essential. I think anybody that's built that great relationship will be more memorable again. I mean, there's obviously different techniques and things like that, but having systems in place is also really important. A lot of them, you'll hear agents say, oh yeah, well, I am all personable and you know, it is all one-to-one, but you do have to have a good system to stay on top of that unless you've only got two clients or something, you know, that's that would be quite straightforward. But when you start popping a load of them into the diary to go out and talk to and kind of win those instructions over the line, that can be a challenge. So a world-class estate agency for me maintains that, that personal level of contact but would also have to have some systems and processes in the background in order to be able to deliver that. Otherwise, I think you'll you'll tend to find that, um, you know, that it does fall down. Um, and although they think they're giving that great service, that might not be the case. So for me, it's, it's a bit from column A, a bit from column B, if you like. It's not all one or the other. And you will often hear an agency classify themselves as one or the other. So I think, you know, you've, you've kind of got to put work into both areas if you really do want to deliver that world-class service. I think that's a really, a really good point that when you grow to a state, when you grow to a certain size, you're going to have something in place to make sure that you are able to maintain those, those personal level of contact. Um, is that something you do? I know Akaboom a, 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 a big successful business. Is, is there anything you can share about any little um, golden nuggets about any systems that you have in place without giving too much away about how you can still maintain those personal relationships? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I'm I'm the person that does all the selling, right? So I'm the big bad wolf at the at the beginning, I suppose, doing those pitches and things. And I'm quite present. I suppose anyone who knows me knows that I turn up at the opening of an envelope envelope for any conference possible. The last couple of years, been locked indoors hasn't been the best for me. So I do tend to know a lot of faces, and I'm always kind of around for people to approach and maintain that relationship. I'm. I'm not a stranger to being in the bar with a few of them either, Mark, if I'm really <laughs> you know, given half a chance. So, we'll get on. So we do kind of networking, networking <laughs> is, the, is the word. But, you know, we do have processes in the background to maintain that. We do have a full training team, support team, but everybody has like a dedicated account manager as well to make sure that they are staying in touch. So, yeah, although quite often uh, I'm probably viewed as the person, the face of the, the system, if you like, and the face of... The business in in that respect there are a lot of people that work a lot harder and do a lot better job than me in the background to keep me afloat so i'd say that that's certainly got a great team and that is what you mentioned actually in the world class agency about not just having the relationship but actually building the relationship with other people in the team and yeah. i think that's that's really important it can't be one person 
only who goes out there and, and does it. It can be one central point of contact, but it's all important about those people who are working yeah, behind no the scenes. There's no way I could do it. We've got too many clients for me to maintain that. So there are a lot of great people kind of picking up um, after me, really, you know, onboarding the client. I will say a big shout out to our onboarding team. They, you know, they do do a fantastic job. I think a lot of agents at the beginning don't necessarily appreciate what goes into building that dedicated toolkit of all the copywriting, the designing, the bespoke nature of it, you know, and uh, essentially getting them over the line. It's, it, you know, a considerable amount of work for, for our team this end. And I do think they do a phenomenal job of delivering something that, you know, the agents typically always delighted with at the end of the process. And they do that in just sort of six to seven weeks as well, which again, from scratch, there's, it's almost like building a whole new website with brand new concept and everything. And, I think we all know if we've got a website before, typically that takes longer than six to seven weeks. So, you know, they are that they are fantastic. And then after that, like I say, it will pass to somebody else who's dedicated to picking up on that in training, making sure that they're using it, following up again, um, you know, marketing, sending them out tips. We do a lot of webinars. If you're an academic client, please jump on a webinar. You know, you will definitely learn something. And then, of course, then there's the lovely Emily in account management, who's typically, you know, proactively contacting them, encouraging them to attend webinars, but also personal one-to-one -one calls with her so that they can really understand the value of their individual system. It's a value in, in both ways. So you've got the group stuff, but then the then the individual. And mm -hmm. Susanna, we said we'd, we'd run for 25 minutes. We're just coming um, to the end. Just before we do, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the agents giving dancing that you mentioned? I've not heard anything anything about that. We, ha we have lost Sam forever. He's gone. But tell oh. us a little bit more about the dancing. When should we look out for that? I hope by forever you mean just on this podcast. <laughs> if, if not, it would seem very selfish of me to go up and talk about a charity event for dancing. <laughs> I'll assume, I'll assume it's the latter and he is okay, he's just not coming back here. But um, so Agents Giving um, is obviously the, the charity of choice in agency. I'm sure most people have come across that. Lots of people do raise money for it. Um, and most years prior to the last couple because of the dreaded COVID, they do, um, if you like, a bit of a talent show each year at their, at their ball, if you like. And in... In the past, they have done, it's Strictly Come Dancing, basically. So if you're a fan of Strictly off the TV, that's what we're doing live. So if you want to want, come and watch, um, it's in July. I think it's July the 15th in Epsom. If you want to come and watch me fall flat on my face, please uh, buy a ticket for charity. Uh, come along and watch. I think, um, you know, they also have done a bit of, you know, Britain's Got Talent type scenarios and things as well. But yeah, we're back to the dancing this year. So um, I'm scared. And who you know, are you up against? They've not announced the contestants yet. Now, I do know... Oh, it's so strictly... It's a big deal, isn't it? Is it going to be a grand reveal? There's a grand reveal. I think it's next week or the week after or something that they're saying everybody that, that has done it. Um, I may have persuaded a few people to join me, if you like. And then when we did the Zoom call the other day, a lot of people sat there with sheer horror on their faces at the thought of actually what we'd signed up for. It is quite a lot of work. Uh, I mean, for anyone who knows the infamous uh, Simon Bradbury, who's fantastic at this. I mean, he did, he was training all the time along with Jane Gardner, who massive shout out there, is phenomenal behind the charity. But she, she, um, she won, but she was training two, three times a week, kind of in, in Epsom, uh, sorry, not in Epsom, um, uh, down in London. Um, what, 
just outside of it actually so place escapes me but in, in Enfield was the word I was looking for Epsom got in the way there uh, down in Enfield so it's a lot of kind of I mean for me that's really far to travel so there's a lot going behind it and then when you start to do it or try it in your kitchen like I have been you realize you've got two left feet and you don't necessarily need a glass of wine before you get started so yeah please look it's 15th of July it's going to be a lot of fun um a lot of uh, other people there as well who are definitely going to come and beat me but yeah, it's all in the name of charity. Incredible. Well done. All about pushing outside the comfort zone and doing it for a good cause as well. So, yeah. Definitely. Um, from Sam and I, Susanna, massive thank you um, for coming on. Sorry, apologies, Sam has, has lost his internet connection. Apparently down under, they don't have the internet like they do um, <laughs> over, over here. But you've added loads of, loads of real value there. Massive thank you for, for joining us today. No problem. Thank you very much for the invitation. And I look forward to coming back and telling you all about the dancing later on and how I hopefully didn't completely embarrass myself but uh, it remains to be seen thank I look you look forward to it thanks very much Mark a massive thank you once again to Susanna Mavity from Akaboom for, for joining us today. I have Sam back with me now um just to quickly quickly wrap up some of the um some of the really good gems that Susanna gave us throughout that podcast. We said in the off air that you know one one gem for every half hour and there was numerous in there in my opinion Sam would you agree? I would agree and again I'll just say one last apology um, to both Susanna and the listeners for just having a terrible connection through there because actually I think it ruined what was a really excellent podcast and you know from from moment one when we were talking about just the trials and tribulations of climbing a mountain to raise money for for a good friend Susanna comes out with you know she thought she was a very lucky person but actually what she realized is that most of the good stuff in her life isn't down to luck it's actually down to hard work whether that's business or personal relationships and that's something you really gotta just always remember you know you make your own luck we we had martin on the show last week he said listen to the cliches that's one of the oldest cliches that goes around isn't it yeah yeah what a great life lesson to start and you know going yeah. climbing kilimanjaro raising over 11,000, not 1,000. I, I read 11. I don't know if I said one. Apologies <laughs> if I did. But that, you know, is part of a bigger um, charity campaign to raise almost 200,000. Incredible. And that is just a real, real good life lesson that actually I, I'm a great believer in, you know, things that, are, things that are worth having in life don't come easily. It's another cliche, but, mm. you know, as Mike said, listen to those, those cliches and um, things aren't down to luck, but are down to, hard work and we are invincible as well you know we talked about it there last week um we, you know we are not invincible we have to work hard and look is something that you make so i think that was a really good life lesson to start start the podcast with it, without a doubt and actually it, it, it does transfer <clears throat> excuse me very very succinctly into i mean we always talk about this show what can we relate that is so far away from a state agency back to a state <laughs> agency because actually it is it's part of us and actually talking about hard work and making your own life. Well, that does come down to what it takes to be a world-class estate agent. Yeah, you know, Susanna quite rightly said that we all think that we're going out there and doing something different, but in a lot of cases, an, an agent's idea of different is just the same as somebody else. So it really does come down to the skill. And we were talking about that at the top of the show, uh, the skill of the estate agent, the personality of the estate agent and then making sure they're equipped with the best toolkit to go and get that done. Because, you know, I, I really like the way Susanna put it, you've got an hour to win. Mm. And if you think about it like that, yes, that comes with a degree of pressure 
um, but pressure is a privilege and you can you can see there's actually you, you've got an hour of opportunity to go and make sure that that person walks away knowing that by working with you they're going to have more money than they ever thought they would possibly dream and you're going to solve the problem of moving in a really tight real estate market um so that that that's how you've got to position yourself you know that's really i think quite exciting thing for everybody listening to this show you know it's the agents who listen to this show aren't scared of that hour you know that's that is the the highlight of their day every single day i would imagine Mm -hmm. you know i I know every time you go to a vow you send me a message after and you'd say you know there's probably a bit of a rude word in front of it but you say you smashed it or you did really well (laughs) ask that question you know it's the same thing with me i don't do enough uh business development or pitching as i probably would like to because that's what really brings me alive you get an opportunity to talk to somebody about your vision for them how exciting is that yeah i think all the salespeople here will, will you know come alive in those those moments because you as Susanna said you know a lot of agents all they have is the, is the personality but actually we can take some of that um away by differentiating your journey and how do you like what she said mm. like you know i've written down what's in your toolkit different material different pitch but also different communication strategy so how do you communicate with them do you offer them different forms of communication than other agents do? Um, mm. And, you know, how do you then then follow up on that? I think one of the interesting things that she said is that 32% of vendors will take o- over a month to instruct an agent. That's a, that's a fantastic start. But have, have we, as estate agents, developed a good way of communicating with those 32% of clients that are going to take over a month? I know that we haven't. And that's something that I'm going to be looking at um, following this meeting, definitely. Do you know, I wrote that down as well because I'd never actually heard that statistic about uh, how long a vendor actually takes to make a decision. And it just goes to show you how much of the fortune is actually in the follow-up. Like we look back at, if we're talking about supply world and actually I now regret not asking Susanna this question about her own business, how long it takes people to make decisions within Akaboom yeah, as well. But we look at that. It's very, very similar. I would say the percentage is higher for an agent making a decision on a supplier. You get very few impulse buys. Um, you, but people are really considerate and they want to make sure that they're buying into the right thing. And actually, I think if there's 32% of people who are taking longer than a month to instruct an agent, it's because one, they're seeing more than one. So they might only see one a week because they couldn't handle three of the same valuation in one day. Mm-hmm. But two, they probably haven't found anywhere they want to live. So yeah. they're out there saying, right, we're going to use Mark while moving works, but we're not going to use Mark until we've gone and found something. And actually, we're not going to tell Mark that either because Mark didn't tell us to tell him what we're up to. He just said, let me know when you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Not that you would do that. Sorry to use you as an example of that <laughs> as well. That should have um, been Brian. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's Barry down the road. But it That's does it, it does show you the importance of, and, and Susanna mentioned like, is it a standard valuation letter that you send after all your appointments that just outlines fees or are you really taking the time to explain again what you talked about in that hour of power why are you different why are you going to get them more money why will you make the experience maybe enjoyable is the wrong word but certainly easy uh, is something that we should all be striving towards so it's, it's a really important point and if you didn't know like i didn't know that number of you know, nearly a third of people thinking about selling their home today are going to take a month to make a decision. Well, you've got to probably have between, you know, if they're really thinking about moving, six and 10 pieces of high quality communication to go out over that month. Now, that might seem like overkill to some people listening to this, but, you know, it's like a hot box. You call 
all that hot box every day if you have to, don't you? So you've got to make sure that you're there when you need them, but making sure that they're all, you're also visible in front of them through that decision-making process. Because if you're not, your competitors will be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we talked about world-class agency um, as we were wrapping up, Sam. And what Susanna said was that world-class agency is relationship sales, but it's not just about creating great relationships. It's actually having the systems in place to stay on top of that, having systems in place to make sure that you're able to maintain a personal level of, of contact. And I think that's probably one of the things that people often forget. It's relationship sales. I think everyone knows that. It's a people business. We hear that all, all the time. But is, are there systems in place behind that to ensure that as you grow, you're able to make sure that those uh, contacts are still very very personal it's a really good point um and i'm sorry i didn't get a chance to listen to that live um because it, it is such a good answer and actually we talk about what are you going to have in place for that month while someone's making their decision well if you've got a system in place you don't necessarily have to consciously think about it you're putting them in a process that you've proven to have worked over time and we, we often hear this um, when we're speaking to agents at the start of their journey, maybe looking to do something with us, or I'm sure any other sort of, you know, solution provider or supplier out there where they think that systems are impersonal and you almost buy a system, they think it's going to rip the heart and soul out of their business, but actually you make them your own. All it is is just a scaled version of whatever you think is the most empathetic, consistent, appropriate level of communication for the people that you want to work with most. It just saves you that time and effort of having to remember everything. You know, I, I still, I'm looking at it now. I keep a paper diary um, because when I first got into real estate, this is 20 end of 2010, I got, I got given a paper diary. That's one page a day. I still have it now. You can hear me sort of twisting the pages now and it's professional to-do lists on the top, right. It's personal do list on the bottom, right. And it's appointments down the left-hand side of each page. Now, that was my system and process for longer than I would care to admit. And it worked, but I had to do the work. Now we're in a position where you can find a system that works, you can personalize it, and it will do the work for you yeah. as long as you put the people in the right place at the right time. And that is that goes a really, really long way into ensuring that you are offering a world-class service because you can't be everywhere to everyone if you're doing it all yourself. But you can get pretty close if you're systemized and you're keeping them personal. So I think that's, that's a magnificent point. Thank you, Susanna. Yeah. I, I think sometimes when we think about systems, we think that we're going to introduce a system and it's going to take away that personality within our business, or it's going to take mm. away the, you know, the one-to-one -one relationships we have, but actually it's a great point that, you know, the systems don't have to stop the personalized contact. They can actually allow you to scale it. You can, you can choose the system that you put in place. It's, I think it's a great thing about being a business owner. You choose the system that you, that you put in place and you know, that, whatever that system looks like is completely down to you. Just make sure that if you want to have that you know, relationship one-on-one, -on -one, that whatever, this, whatever the output of the system is, is that relationship one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's a really, really good point, I think. Absolutely. Um, before, before we wrap up, I just wanted to sort of say, and I didn't get an opportunity to say this at the end of uh, Susanna's um, interview, but I just want to say on behalf of uh, you and I, the World Class Agency podcast, and everyone who's listening, we've, we've also just made a small donation to her Kilimanjaro climb and the Do It For Dom uh, cause as well, because I think, um, you know, it sounded like it was a pretty tough trek and she's done it for mm -hmm. the right reasons. So, um, you know, 
we're very honored to be able to play a time or small part in supporting such a worthy cause. So thank you for joining us on the show, Susanna, but also thank you for, you know, putting yourself out there and, and raising money for a good friend of yours. Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody that does want to donate, we will be dropping the link into the show notes today. So um, a massive thank you once again to Susanna for joining us. As you know, we do this show because we love our industry. We want to see it improve and get better. If you do enjoy what we do, please reach out on social media. Thank me. Thank the guests for joining us. Share it with friends and colleagues alike. I'm Mark Oral. He's Sam Hunter. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you again next week.